0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, a podcast that explores the interesting and rich world of war gaming and tabletop gaming that we sort of are living in at the moment. It is uh, a hobby renaissance, so to speak. There are so many great game systems out there, and we are going to be exploring them uh, through the conversations on this podcast. Now, you might have noticed, and this is sort of the elephant in the room, that uh, a couple of things. One, at the end of last episode, I said that this episode would be entirely about Gangs of Rome, and I would be interviewing Andy Hobday. Unfortunately, um, circumstances have prevented that. Uh, I am sorry. That episode will happen. I am very keen to talk that game. Uh, Andy has arranged an alternate time, and we will get back to it. Uh, number two uh the last two episodes have been about action and some of you are asking hey wait a minute isn't this podcast about gaming in general well it is um i actually planned out a lot of content um and had planned as i said to talk about gangs of rome and had a lot of things planned out for star wars legion uh and a couple of other games um but the new structure of the show uh Star Wars Legion being pu- pushed back to March twenty second, and Gangs of Rome episode being pushed back has sort of meant that all of a sudden, everything has sort of fallen into place. Is Bolt Action? Um, bolt Action is, of course, one of the games that I love to play, and uh, I know a lot of people that play it. And when everything else falls through, it's just that old, uh, that old, familiar, easy, and fun topic that I love talking about. So, sorry. More bolt action for you. That said, this is a corker of an episode, and I'm going to explain why in just a second. Now, you can hear my guests rattling around in the background because they're keen to get on, but I'm just going to talk for just another second before we begin. I am very excited that Cast Dice will be hosting its very first event. Now, I've whole, of course, I've had events, tournaments. I've hosted all sorts of things in the past, uh, but this will be the first time I will have done that Well, since I started the Cast Dice podcast. Uh, On March 18th, uh, I believe it's a Sunday, uh, in Melbourne, I will be holding a bolt action tournament. Surprise, surprise, given all the content recently. Now, I will be doing uh, probably an episode to talk about terrain preparation very soon. And a good chunk of that will probably be about bolt action as I paint terrain that is good for bolt action. Uh, But part of that will be terrain for other games as well. Uh, if you are interested and you happen to be in the greater Melbourne area, please uh, look up the, the podcast. That's this podcast webpage. that is That is Lando Misfit Toys uh, on Facebook uh, or just type in Cast Dice, C-A-S-T Dice, and you will find the Lando Misfit Toys slash the home of the Cast Dice podcast. And on that, you can find an event link that will take you to the event. Now. Now, this is an episode that has been a long time in the making. This was actually a planned, scheduled episode, and the content was prepared, uh, and it was supposed to be the episode that would have made, I guess it would have been the last episode of the LRDG2. Um, Unfortunately, I pulled the plug on that project, and my guests were uh, gracious enough to say they would come back another time. So not only have they been waiting for almost four minutes now, uh, through this painfully long introduction. They've been waiting for months. Uh, God, since almost six months now. Uh, let's get busy and let's get, uh, let's get them invited, I guess. Uh, the, my first guest is an old, old friend, yet another one of my old buddies who used to play 40K, who came to Bolt Action. Um, just a wargaming, if you, if you know this guy, you know this guy, because he is just one of the nicest guys out there, uh, you know, pure rock and roll himself Pedro welcome to cast ice
1: hi Brad hi everybody
0: oh it's just good to have you on brother we've been talking about having you on for years
1: we have and um, I have been happily listening to uh, your content in various incarnations um, up and down the various highways in Victoria over the years Um, often my company on a long drive to Melbourne Um, so yeah it's nice to be on and to be able to add some content.
0: That's right. Boom. And man, we've got some content tonight. But before I get to what we're talking about, it is important to bring our second guest on. Now, he is very prolific in the Australian and slash New Zealand Bolt Action Group, and that would be Aaron. Aaron, welcome on, man. Welcome to Cast Dice.
2: Thanks, Brad. Thanks for having me. It's been a long time coming, and great to finally be here. Yeah, man.
0: Now, Aaron, you, Pedro, and I all have a a, a similar interest. Uh, Now, you are probably the most experienced of us with this army. And Pedro definitely is close to you. Uh, I will talk about my my project on this for later. But um, what are we talking about tonight, man?
2: That would be Italians.
0: Now, not just any old Italians. Because Italians are one of those niche armies. But where we're going tonight is down a deep deep dark rabbit hole paratroopers are one of those subjects i mean band of brothers have made paratroopers sexy and cool like you know fighter pilots were after top gun everyone who comes to balt action uh well not everyone but most people seem to have seen band of brothers and typically love it and they typically go ooh can i play american paratroopers or some variation thereof And, of course, everyone knows the Fallschirmjäger. Everyone knows the British paratroopers, the Red Devils. And American paratroopers, um, the 101st, of course, are made famous through Band of Brothers slash other incarnations of paratroopers across the board. But what we're talking about is what Aaron talked about, Italian paratroopers. Aaron, take it away.
2: Yeah, we're talking about the Parakadututisi. It's just something to get your tongue around.
0: I'm so glad (laughs) you you said that and I didn't.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So am I, unfortunately. At at most, if you have heard of them, it might have been their division of Folgor in Africa because they were quite prolific over there. That's right. And Churchill himself made a reference about it. We must honor the lines of Folgor, quite a famous quote.
0: That's right. Um, Now, Folgor, of course, means Lightning. Uh, which I just found out in preparation for this episode, which is pretty cool. Um, and But we're also going to go beyond what you were saying, the common paratroopers. And we're going to explore the Italian paratroopers throughout the war. Um, each one of us has looked at Italian paratroopers in a different era. Um, I will be talking about the more commonly known, the Falgor, um, in the Desert War, specifically how you can list around um, their involvement in the battle for El Alamein. Uh, we will continue on. Uh, Pedro, I believe, is talking about the RSI, or is that you, Aaron?
1: That's
2: nice.
0: Uh, all right. So, Pedro, Aaron, who are you talking about?
1: Uh, so, Aaron um, comes in, I suppose, later in the war with the RSI. Um, I'm probably coming in, in between the two periods. Um, mm-hmm. I'm talking about the defense of Sicily in 1943 and um, the the parachutes troops that existed in that theater um that were built up out of the remains from the army that fought in north africa and then eventually went to um either defend uh italy for the axis or um fight alongside the allies um you know as as after the italian armistice and italy changing sides in the war
2: I'm
0: glad you brought that up because that is definitely something we need to talk about tonight. But before we can get anywhere, um, we do need to acknowledge that the Italian paratroopers are not an independent army list. They are very much um, part of the Italian list that exists in the book of, uh, uh, what is it, Armies of Italy and the Axis Minor Powers book. Um, They're in there with Finland and Hungary, uh, Hungary, um, you know, all, all those classic armies. Italy has a very set set of national rules that really don't deviate. Um, And in that, I'm curious about what you guys think of whether they match up with the paratroopers. But before I ask you that, um, let me quickly review for our listeners what the national rules for Italy entail. So number one is a rule called Avanti Savoia. uh, And that basically says that... At the beginning of each turn, you check to see the difference between the number of units lost by the Italians and the number of units lost by their opponents and If uh, the number is three or worse for the Italians, the Italian morale for the for every unit in the in the army is reduced by two. Um, if the number is three or better, as in the battles going really well for the Italians. All friendly Italian units have their basic morale increased by two. So it's one of those situations where either the Italians are doing amazingly and they get even better, or uh, they're getting walloped and they get penalized for it. Uh, Now, before I get your opinions on that, because that is a very controversial rule, I will quickly talk about defense strategy. So in missions that have attacker-defender, if the um, Italians are the defender they can roll to get uh, three sets, or sorry, D3 sets of three walls um, to build sort of little defensive U's in their deployment zone. Now, I won't go into the exact wording of that rule because that's one of the rules that people love to debate. Just know that it exists, and one of my common players that I played for years and years, of course, was the Mouth of Madness, and he played regular Italian's Constantly in many different, uh, different iterations, different ways of playing the army—either infantry-heavy, vehicle-heavy—and in all of our games, even with attacker-defender games, I think he set up using that rule once. So it's not that common. Now those are the only national rules for the Italians, Pedro. I'm going to kick it to you first. Um, what do you think? Do you think these national rules? sort of fit what we know about Italian paratroopers?
1: Um, certainly, uh, the defensive um, boxes or the defensive um, emplacements, I think were very, very common um, in North Africa. Um, Definitely. And and they certainly fit in very well with that scenario. Um, if we think back about... Um, you know the conflict in Italy and Sicily afterwards um, the Axis forces were predominantly on the defensive and um, you know set up uh, a number of lines across Italy, whether it was the Gothic line or um, you know or, or several others uh, where you know the the Allies had to basically fight their way up uh, the Italian peninsula and, and often you know in quite brutal attrition type warfare like, um, casino um, and, and, and as I said, the Gothic line engagements. So I, I, I think it fits reasonably well. Um, in terms of the, um, the Avanti Savoya um, rule, the Italian paratroopers, like all other paratroopers, tend to be a veteran, uh, tough fighter, uh, fairly resilient. I don't think um, that they are historically known for breaking. They're, they're historically tenacious, and that's probably well reflected with a high morale value. So they're not likely to be as affected. And, and also, uh, if, you, if you're fielding a, you know, a wholly paratrooper-based force, then the majority of your units are going to be veteran. You're going to be talking about a fairly small um, compact army, low dice count, I, I don't know that you're likely to be giving up dice very easily. Mm-hmm. So in my games, i found that, you know, that hasn't really come into effect, maybe once. Um, most of the time, I, I, I've tended to find I give as good as I get, and, it, and and it's probably felt relatively realistic. Yeah. Always desperate battles, often defensive, but um, they have a bit of teeth about them.
0: Agreed. And one thing that actually I should mention and something that ties into what you're saying about their veteran nature, uh, keeping them in the fight and making them not casualties. If you are playing a pure Italian paratroop list, of which we're going to be mainly talking about tonight, I should have mentioned that though those are the only two national rules, the Italian paratroopers themselves have their own set or have their own rule. And that would be stubborn, like all other paratroopers yes. in the game. Just about, um, they are stubborn, and that definitely reflects their, um, as you were saying, tenacity. Um, the fact that they just yeah. don't disappear. Um, did you want? How have you found stubborn working out in your games? Has it helped um, combat the Avanti Savoia at all, or is uh, what are your yeah,
1: thoughts? Yeah, it, it it means that I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm often trading dice with my opponent um, and you know not as opposed to just giving up dice as you would I suppose if you had a mixed Italian force where uh, you would have had other infantry units of questionable quality or you know inexperienced or regular or green um, I think in that scenario you know you might just had one or two squads of paratroopers as your core Um, your other units would be giving up dice a lot faster and then the overall morale of the army would come into play um, with a, a pure paratrooper corps, and especially if you're selecting um, veteran for you know as much as possible, your command teams, your weapons teams, things like that, then um, it, it does make them very resilient. And I was just thinking back to some of my games at CanCon last year Probably my toughest opponent and the one that I had most trouble with was playing U.S. paratroopers, um, and that was just, um, you know, not only ugly because it was as hard to dislodge as I was, uh, but in in that sort of situation, um, you know, I think that some of the other um, auxiliary units he was able to bring to bear um, were probably the tipping point for me. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I could definitely see that. The Americans have just a, a much wider uh, breadth of choices and selections in their listing than the Italians do. That said, for a minor power, man, Italy has some choices. Um, let's let's quickly jump over to Aaron. Aaron, what do you think about Avanti Savoia and the defensive strategy? Given that you're playing RSI, which is the very end of the war— um, I, I suppose I didn't ask. Are you talking more Axis? Are you talking more Allied? Or are you talking both?
2: Uh, uh, more Axis. Allied were, I uh, can't remember the exact name, but they called something different. The Republic Sociale Italiana That's was right. the Axis.
0: That's right. Okay, so but, national rules. What do you think?
2: Uh, I actually quite liked the Avanti Savoia. It, it is hard, it can be brutal, and it can be beneficial, but it sort of represents them, how they were from the start to the end of the war. If the war's going well, they will fight to the bitter end, and they're also quite well known for surrendering in mass. so it does represent fairly well. I actually quite like it to make the bold action games become a bit more accurate and realistic, so you're not just going to keep shooting and go until the dice goes... With that rule, knowing that you could lose two morale, if you start to see something risky coming, you will change your strategy mid-game to combat that rather than just keep going the way you are because you don't want that morale loss. So I find it keeps you constantly changing your strategy and making it a bit more lively and tougher, but more realistic in how battles do change. And for defensive... Sorry, go ahead. defensive, Defensive strategy is pretty accurate as well. They are quite well known for their defenses and will fight pretty bad right to the end mm-hmm. there was two parts of the defensive strategy which i think you've missed from memory i'm pretty sure it's um artillery observers reroll the uh artillery dice if you're a defender that's right and also on the first turn your opponent can't run they can only advance on
0: oh i miss that i haven't read the uh yes. i skimmed those yeah. rules but yeah you're entirely right now that you say that i remember the one time i did see this being forced to walk
2: the only weird exception is because well, I'm not sure how it plays in. Is the um the Americans rule where they get the free advance move before the game? So I yeah, don't. Yeah, I assume they. I say they still get that, but then after that, they probably have to walk. But mm. even so, that can be very, very handy, making them only advance, and you get a better chance of getting better defending positions.
0: Definitely. Now, do you have you had the defensive strategy rule? actually happen in your games is that something that has happened i don't know not regularly because attacker defender missions aren't that common um but is it something that you've played enough to have made some pretty strong opinions about it
2: um it's happened a few times not heaps as you said it's not too many missions that bring it out but when it does happen the artillery is over, i barely use so that doesn't really come up the extra defensive structures do help and even if it says I can take D3 and roll three, I mainly choose one, just so I can still have easy access for vehicles and that. But that does come in handy just to make one point very hard, could be close to an objective, or if your opponent's trying to get to your side of deployment, makes it even harder to get to that side. So that does come in handy. But as I was saying, that's making them have to walk and not run first turn is probably the best part of it.
0: Yeah, I, I I distinctly remember, and it, it's been years since I've played uh, against Lachlan in Bolt Action, um, but I very distinctly remember playing against his Italians in um, Demolition in Version One, and I had to, I couldn't, I I could only walk on, um, and he put a defensive structure uh, between my board edge, sorry, between the board edge that I could outflank from, and his objective, and he put everything in that. Um, Half of it pointing forward to stop me from coming forward. The other half on ambush pointing towards the board edge and it made for a painful uh, game. Um, But I don't I don't begrudge him. It was an amazingly intense game um, and he was trying to get to my objective, but he built a very defensive uh, position using the defensive strategy rule.
2: That's exactly right. And especially if you think they're going to flank, you can use the defensive structure just to basically cut off your board edges on the side so they can't outflank easy.
0: That's right. And it, yeah, and it's a brilliant just having that wall there. Walls are such a great uh, asset to have on a tabletop in bolt action that the fact that you're able to deploy them where you want, um, especially if you are playing, if you are maybe a quote unquote tournament player, if you can get that to work for you, that's massive. Um, it really makes a huge difference. I find, um, Pedro, have you similarly messed around with the defensive strategy stuff?
1: Oh yeah. I quite like it. And, um, and we'll always make a point of checking with a TO, um, you know, if, if this is a, an attacker and defend the mission, uh, is he happy for that to apply? um, I, you know, especially I think there is one particular mission that I I recall is a little bit um, ambiguous as to whether it is
2: Mm -hmm. attack
1: and defender. It's in the right section, but it doesn't explicitly state. Um, So whenever I see that happen, I will go and ask. Um, I find it's great. I find that um, playing an all-power force, I have less dice and less people on the table so i'm always keen to build some you know good defensive strong points um and almost play a a come to me game Mm -hmm. um and and then try to you know leap out or um you know push up a flank or 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 sort of exploit um the game later on after um you know the enemies come to me and i've been able to uh, apply some attrition, um, often quite good for machine gun nests and, um, mm. you know, anti-tank gun nests. Um, it just gives you that little bit more resilience.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, so just to, and, and just to ask you a little bit about what Aaron was talking about a second ago with Avanti Savoia, I know that when I played Lachlan, um, And you'll have to excuse me, guys. I've spent more time playing against Italians than actually playing with them at this point. But I will be changing that shortly, um, as I will be playing Italians in about two weeks in a tournament. Um, When I played him, he had a piece of paper and he kept kept track of how many units he lost uh, constantly But it really did, like Aaron was saying, it forced him to change the way he played the game. Some days he'd be in the middle of a rush towards an objective and he would all of a sudden get smashed, um, you know, a couple of dice. Bolt action happened, you know, someone would hit with a mortar, um, you know, a sniper would kill a team, something would happen, he'd be down a couple dice and then all of a sudden he'd have to go to ground or find some cover and try and claw back a couple of dice before he could go forward. Because if he got to the objective with that minus two leadership, all of a sudden he would be at a massive disadvantage in holding it. Um, Keeping in mind that when Lachlan was playing it, he wasn't playing with paratroopers. Um, Pedro, do you, have you had that experience like Aaron has um, with sort of changing mid game depending on how that rule is going?
1: probably less so because of that rule and more, you know, in games where I'm finding that um, I am very much on the defensive um, if, if I am being um, you know, pushed back through superior numbers or greater firepower or whatever uh, then it will become more about um, trying to hold objectives or trying to pull back and consolidate um, you know exposed positions to try to to not give up the dice and not get into that situation in the first place. I think, as I said, I've only ever been in that situation uh, once that I can recall as, um, you know, as someone who was down dice. Um, and I think by that stage, it, it became a fairly quick collapse. Mm-hmm. Um yeah,
0: is that something, Aaron? Is that something that once you found that you've hit the negative on Avanti Savoya, it's uh, throw your hands up and the sky is falling, game over, Rover? Or um, oh. <laughs> what do you think?
2: No, I, I've um I've changed my personality since starting Bold Action, and pretty much if that does happen. I fight all the more harder, and I fight to the bitter end. You can, you can ask Jason, the former owner of Good Games up here in Newcastle, and pretty much doesn't matter how bad I could be losing, I fight to the bitter end. I've had single people, like a single paratrooper, holding a section, just standing there, just not dying, and I just I'll just stay there. I'll just keep fighting to the end mm-hmm. and prevented him from getting into my deployment zone. So yeah, I just fight to the bitter end.
1: Nice, yeah, and I think that that's Sorry, the difference. Um, with the paratroopers because they are vets and because they are stubborn, they are that little bit more resilient. So, um, you know, you tend to get your units depleted quite heavily. Um, and then by the time you do lose um, dice, um, you know, it's probably close to the end of the game and, um, you know, you've been decimated. Um, and, and probably the morale effect... Um, doesn't come into it as much. It, it, it's likely to be, you know, in the last one or two turns that, mm-hmm. that things have tipped that far if they're going against you. Mm. But I agree with you, Brad, that, um, you know, if you were up um, and pushing forward and all of a sudden uh, there was a reversal, um, you'd have to be mindful of that and, and play a bit more cautious. I think paratroopers are probably just that little bit different in character.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that it. So I've been doing a lot of work and a lot of research over the last um, many years, um, but I took a break from it and recently reacquired. And I've said this on a previous episode my um, Otto Sahariana, who are not paratroopers, but are sort of the Italian version of the LRDG. Now, those guys are also veteran troops. They don't have stubborn um, They tended to you know, ride around in vehicles. They were armed with light auto cannons, light anti-tank guns, uh, a lot of machine guns, uh, some anti-tank rifles. Uh, basically, a lot of the weapons that I'll be talking about later with the Gore and the Battle of El Alamein, for example, because those are the weapons that were being used by Italians in that theater. Um, sort of weapons and ammunition were quite scarce uh, for quite a few of those units. Um, and the uh, the auto Sahariana, Sahariana grabbed what they could. Um, so I'm really interested about people's thoughts about Avanti Savoia um, as I'm now going to be playing with this army. Um, it is also, as I say, veteran, so it'll be durable and it'll stick around. But I'm also putting all of those veteran units. They all have to be zipped up in a transport and all of those transport are uh, soft skin. So... I'm going to be bleeding uh, order dice like he's like going to be going out of Christmas. So I, I'm not sure exactly w- how that's going to work. Uh, I'm just looking forward to doing it. I'm hoping that in being able to pick the side of the battle that I go to, um, I'm able to uh, mitigate my losses and capitalize on preying on some easy dice to get ahead. Uh, but I am, I am curious to see how that will work. Uh, but yeah.
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Brad. Um, I think that that'll be the different tactic um, with the Porta Sahariana, will be that you do need to find those easy targets um, because you will be vulnerable uh, in those soft skins and in those transports, uh, but you'll also have the, the movement to try to pick where the battle goes um, and, and try to, to pick off um, the easy targets and get your dice buffer built that way Uh, you know if you can be up two or three dice um, then you know you can try to keep that advantage Um, you know I think that that's pretty important as opposed to you know you're forced to dismount because your vehicle brews up well all of a sudden you're down a dice and and then you're exposed and you're just um, you know five or six guys wandering around the battlefield with SMGs
0: yeah, it, it's sort of the reverse of that old... Um, there, that was that Dennis Miller once said in the 80s in a comedy routine, uh, a good defense, it, you know, is a... Is a, so is it, a great offense is a great defense. Something like that. Um, and do you know who said that? It was the the cook, the diner from Alice, the sitcom. Anyway, where I'm going with this is, whereas people often say, you know, a, a great offense um, or a good defense helps an offense, in the Otto Sahariana's case, it is very much... You need to be on the offensive to be defensive. Um, whereas with the paratroopers, I would say in order to be offensive, or sorry, am I saying this right? You guys, here what I am saying. So you have to be offensive to be defensive with, with the Auto Sahariana, um, but you have to be defensive to be offensive with the paratroopers. Is that does, does that make sense?
2: Yeah, I think that makes sense. Okay.
0: Um, Because one's very defensive. That would typically be if you're playing the paratroopers um, historically because they didn't tend to have many transports, at least in the the section that I researched. Um, And they were very defensive, and you played your order dice close to the vest and tried not to lose things, and in the process prevented your opponent from gaining their objectives and winning that way. Whereas with the auto Sahariana, you're reaching out... To, to pick off those easy um, little teams uh, slash small de- you know units that are open um, to get ahead so that you can actually then go and get to your objectives. Um, Aaron, what do you... I, I guess Pedro and I have been talking about the paratroopers as if they're very defensive. Um, and I know we talked about that during the defensive strategy rule. But when that rule isn't in effect, do you play your paratroopers in a defensive manner or do you tend to be a little more aggressive with them
2: i can go both ways if if i'm playing a mixed list and there's only maybe one unit of the airborne i will load it up to the maximum size it can and i will put it in the truck and i'll send that up from reserve to Mm -hmm. go as quickly as possible into it so i'll be very offensive also, partly because the late war paratroopers are a little bit different for the Italians than yours. Yeah. They have access to f- fanatics for two points per person if they want. That's right. The NCO can take an assault rifle if they want instead of and some or some machine gun, and they can have up to three pans of
0: which makes a massive difference. that so ap-
2: yeah, so yeah, so ahead. I mean, so I've been known to keep him in reserve and even not bring him until maybe third, fourth turn, and then just charge up as fast as possible, unload him, and just go straight into whatever's whatever armor is just annoying the hell out of me, and I'll just unload him. And in worst case scenario, just charge with the anti-tank grenades.
0: And I guess that's my next question. Um, I know that in my research for this, um, at the Battle of El Alamein, um, the... The, the, the paratroopers were famous for using several weapons against tanks because they famously had so few shells and anti-tank assets for the the or for the things they did have shells for. Um, and it, I think, it came down to attacking tanks with landmines by hand um, and using Molotov cocktails in a desert battle, which just sounds like pure horror to me. Um, Uh, But they they just were selling them, selling their lives dearly and getting rid of these vehicles. And they they were very they would hide in the sand and then pop up and attack from the sides um, or from the rear or from even underneath um, tanks. Um, So in my mind, Italian paratroopers, if you are going to be playing El Alamein, for example, you would definitely need to have uh, at least a couple units with anti-tank grenades. Um, Pedro, do you commonly use anti-tank grenades?
1: Uh, no, I don't. Um, and part of that is that um, I, I think in in Sicily they had um, some more equipment that had been um, palmed off to the Italians mm-hmm. by the Germans. Stuff that had been captured from the French. Um, so I have taken your more traditional, um, probably fifty-fifty split, you know, SMG. Um, rifle squad um, but then I've also got um, one of the 97 38 uh, anti-tank guns mm-hmm. uh, which was a um, I suppose a bastardized conversion um, that the Germans did which took a um, a 75 mil French um, howitzer mm-hmm. barrel I think um, and it was adapted um, as an anti-tank gun, um, you know, with a modified muzzle brake and, and, and sort of palmed off to various allies, including, um, I think, the Finns, and, mm-hmm. uh, and some of it even ended up in Norway from memory, uh, or Sweden. Um, so I've kind of taken a, a probably a more traditional-type uh, loadout um, and relied on, you know, maybe just one unit with anti-tank grenades, Um and the rest of it to um, you know, be more supported through traditional AT-type assets.
0: And in-game, that would be a medium AT gun?
1: Uh, yeah, I believe it is. Okay. Um, I'll just it's, have a quick look for you.
0: Because it's, it's bigger, I know, than the Elephantino, which is the very is. small AT gun that they were hand-carrying around uh, the desert uh, to escape from the Battle of El Alamein. Um, Aaron you mentioned uh, anti-tank grenades and then I ran with it and left you wondering, you know, where you were going with it. Uh sorry. Can you do you, how much do you use anti-tank grenades? I know you said in mixed lists where you have one or two squads of paratroopers you use them. Do you use them in uh, when you're using paratroopers more broadly?
2: I might have one or two squads of them just in case because once those Panthers are faster gone. You don't have much else, and Italians don't have too much in terms of heavy armor penetration, although in late war they have a little bit more, but yeah. even so, it's quite quite risky. Yeah, absolutely. Like, especially the Semivente 953. Sure, it has a super heavy any tank gun, but <laughs> it's open top. So, yeah. yeah. I have one of the those.
0: Other it's amazing. It's so much fun.
1: And that's the other part of my arsenal, because they were... Um... Uh, first found, or, 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 or happened to provide quite a surprise to the Americans in Sicily that um, these things existed and are um, deployed uh, effectively in very small numbers. Um, so my two um, stop gaps, I suppose, are this uh, anti tank gun, which is a medium. And it's a seventy five thirty nine. There you go. Um, um, and uh, well, seventy five thirty nine in in the Italian. Um, um, naming convention: a ninety-seven thirty-eight in the German naming convention. Um, just for confusion. Um, yeah, exactly. But that's the medium anti-tank gun, and then my other stopgap is a is a ninety-fifty-three, um, which is great, uh, but very brittle. it, it um, if it doesn't get the first strike in, then it's um, likely to not be around for very long.
0: Well, how brutal is? Uh, sorry, how fragile is it compared to the uh, anti-aircraft truck? That you can update, you know, take with the super AT gun. So, yeah, that's brutal. Mm. Uh, It's a sweet-looking model. Company B makes it. And I know they use them in the desert. And it is literally a truck, uh, I believe a Lancia 3RO truck, with a super heavy AT gun. Basically an 88 on the back, on a giant um, swivel platform, and giant jacks that lift it off the ground so it doesn't blow over when it fires the thing uh as awesome as that kit is and as much as i love ridiculous toys like that on the tabletop uh i just think that the height of that model is unbelievable uh and to have it be open topped i think you're probably asking for it um but yeah fun Eh.
1: i have to um confess that the the wacky vehicles and um the really odd, um, Mm -hmm. you know, cobbled together gun platforms uh, was what attracted me to Italians in the first place. And this was back in the days where um, I was building Flames of War Army uh, and my first Flames of War Army was uh, an Italian desert force and largely because of things like that Lancia truck Mm -hmm. um, and, and some of the other... Just very quirky-looking um, engineering <laughs> choices, you'd call it. Mm-hmm. Um, that the Italians, you know, had to make do. Um, they were um, quite constrained in their production capabilities, um, but they had some fairly spectacular ideas.
0: They did, um, and uh, that is that's what took me to the Auto Sahariana. Was the AS42 uh, and AS43. Uh, And even, which took me down the rabbit hole of the AS-37. And if you haven't actually uh, Google searched any of those vehicles, they have giant tires. Um, They're often lined with jerry cans. um, And they're basically open-topped, like, buckets with moon buggy tires on the sides. They literally look like something that would be on a moon landing. Uh, And they were in World War II in the desert. And you just look at them and go... What do you eat? How does this even work? And the crew are wearing, you know, um, those, those sun helmets that, you know, kind of look like Panama hats. And they're just, you know, top off, uh, you know, wearing their pants and their boots and, you know, loading the guns as fast as they can and fanging around the desert. And you just think, that's, that's pretty awesome. I need to get some of those guys on the table. Uh, but anyway. Uh, Let's get back to paratroopers. Um, Now, Aaron, you have read a really good book on the paratroopers, the history of Italian paratroopers. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because that would really help us to lay down some history for these guys.
2: (laughs) That's come back quite a bit, and I've forgotten a fair bit. But they've been quite proliferate from the start of the war to the end of the war, although, well, not as widely used, except for maybe the Anzio landings and that. But... Yeah, they just, it just depends. They also, they split off near the it.
0: So hold on, Aaron. Tell me, what was the book that you read that you got this history from? Because it's its an excellent book. I've seen snippets of it, but I haven't actually read the whole thing yeah. like you have.
2: Yeah, well, the, the one I read was the um, Division of Folgo in the Africa Campaign. It's a hell of a lot of history in there, especially what you're talking about, with their pincer movements, how basically once they had no equipment, they used to lure the enemy armour in and then they would ambush them in a pincer movement with whatever they had, whether it be with the mines, whether it be with the multiple cocktails, just anything they have. Pretty much, it's how they got the nicknames, the Lions of Folgore. And that was pretty much where I got that. And then, except for my area here of the war, I've had to resort to a lot of Italian internet pages and Wikipedia and forums and then people that (laughs) had their fathers and family were in the RSI and that translated them. Mm -hmm. So it's even, it's even harder for me at the later war in RSI than it is for others, unfortunately.
0: Well, let's, let's talk about that because in researching the auto Sahariana literally for years. Um, and then in looking up things for this episode, um, I found finding information on Italian units, especially uh, in and around um, sort of the mid-desert war or later, to be extraordinarily difficult. Um, I, I just, of I, I, all the stuff I've researched, and that includes Chinese units um, and Japanese units, I have found almost, no- I, by comparison, almost nothing. Um, it is astonishingly how hard it is to come by. Um, and yes, some translations help, but some of the translations are wonky. And as you say, people talk about their relatives. Um, some of those websites are, uh, you know, as, as someone who's recently finished a master's and spent a lot of time, look, you know, critically analyzing texts of whether or not I can use them in papers. Um, I look at some of these things and go, this, this isn't, you know, either a it could be accurate, but I can't trust this. Um, This is so heavily biased that um, you wonder, is there any accuracy to this? What are you making up here? Um, Aaron, did you have that experience?
2: I've had some, so I end up just getting rid of them pages and go to ones that's more accurate. Then I went to people who are in the the international bold action communities Mm -hmm. who are in Italy. They could help translate them and then confirm them. So then I know they're a little bit more accurate, so I go with them. But I've also managed to find some... um, actual interviews on YouTube of people in Italian with interviewing people that were members of the RSI and they're quite interesting and it's got subtitles. So that helps, but they're very interesting videos
0: in my research. I also found a lot of these, um, Great interviews on YouTube. Unfortunately, that, <clears throat> they seem to be great, but they're all in Italian with no subtitles. So um, I think I need to steal some of those links from you. Pedro, what did you, how has your research on this topic been? Are you finding it difficult as well? Or, like, uh, Aaron, did you find some gems?
1: Uh, look, it's certainly challenging. Um, I, I suppose, as, as I said, um, I first came onto the topic um, through Flames of War, and I still uh, often go back to their source or to their books or to their articles mm-hmm. um, as my initial research um, source for new army ideas. Um, and I have their own um, Avanti Savoia book in front of me and and that's sort of probably what caught my imagination to start with. Um, so, I, you know, based on that, I started to look around um, Operation Husky, which was uh, the invasion of Sicily by... Um, the English and Americans in '43, and found some reports of uh, the actions um, that were fought early in that campaign from mm-hmm. the English and the American side uh, and then started to go down the rabbit hole of trying to find Italian sources for you know various um, elements, you know, units that might have fought together or equipment that might have been present. Um, and, and look, sometimes you, you get lucky. Um, there's a site that comes to mind called commando supremo from mm-hmm. memory uh, that was you know a, a handy uh place but um it is a bit hit and miss um certainly i think uh Fulgari being better known and and having better recorded history in the desert um is an easier topic to research um but the later incarnations of those off those units um and nimbo which was the the sister division um, that mostly stayed behind and then became sort of the core of, um, you know, future units. Um, you know, that, that's a little bit more hit and miss. Um, well, one of the things I did find in my research early on was that uh, the Italians were one of the first nations to really try to bring uh, paratroopers um, into the various services and, in mm-hmm. fact, um they had both Army, um, I think Navy.
0: They and did. They had Navy bear Force I found that out, yep. And, yeah, and the and XMAS. National
1: Guard, yep, and, and National Guard units, and they all had slight variations in fit-out and um, tunics and things like that. So there's actually a, a fair amount of unexplored ground, I think, um, out there. But the, in terms of combat actions and, and actual um, you know, information that I've seen, it tends to be history of Fogori in the desert, uh, a little bit around Nimbo um, and its various offshoots later on, uh, and then as it gets into the RSI, the fact that you know, some of those um, cadres or, or or you know remaining um, companies and 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 battalions that were left over were um, you know even absorbed into FJ divisions that were being um, you know created on the fly. Um, in the later stages of the Italian campaign.
0: And that is partially how um, AS-42 vehicles, um, the Sahariana vehicles themselves, made their way into Fallschirmjäger, Fallschirmjäger units um, throughout Europe much later on was because as um, Italian units, particularly paratroopers, sort of folded in, they often brought equipment with them. Um, and some of the Fulgore that... Um, fell back with Italian troops um, or units that hadn't been deployed in the desert but had vehicles sort of near them, sort of grabbed things on their way out and then joined the Germans. And so I I was really interested in seeing when I was researching paratroopers that all of a sudden my favorite Sahariana vehicle was mentioned and showing up in, you know, FJ units, German Falschmeger units, um, because of Italian paratroopers. I thought that was really interesting. So, yeah. Um, so, okay, let's, let's go forward because you did say that they, the Italians did have, um, paratroopers for all of the branches. Now, Italian paratroopers, um, sort of came into being, um, they were formed in 1940, uh, and used, uh, in basically North Africa throughout Sicily, um, and then as part of the German military machine, technically throughout other parts of Europe, um, The original division was a 5,000-man paratroop division, um, which was 1941. It was raised, and it was the Felgor and—or the Felgore. Um, It was trained to uh, assault—for the assault on uh, Malta during Operation Hercules, but that assault never happened. And so the unit was deployed in the desert, um, which—but not as a paratrooper unit. Um, It was— it was deployed to to boys uh, to basically to, to fill losses in the desert. Um, the Italians desperately needed some reinforcement at that point, and here was some, some great new elite ah. units that were rolled out to do that. Um, very quickly, though, some very some things became evident. One, these guys were great fighters. Um, their esprit de corps was high. They believed in themselves. and They were highly trained, uh, and and they were very successful. Um, They were often used as raiders behind enemy lines um, and just great defenders in general. Um, What's interesting is a lot of their gear um, sort of went out the window um, very quickly uh, in the Desert War. Um, Italian paratroopers are very famous for having a very distinctive looking helmet and helmet cover um, and for having sort of a vest um, that holds uh, submachine gun magazines um, and having a particular kind of jump smock. Uh, The jump smock largely disappeared um, in desert units, um, although the sort of the the smock that went over the front or the or the the vest that held the submachine gun clips um, that stayed throughout the desert war. Um, But they started to take the sun helmets of regular troops um, and other elite units and just started using them wholesale um, to protect themselves from the sun um, and from oncoming bullets. Uh, But their paratrooper boots were almost immediately replaced um, with the standard hobnail uh, boots and shoes of Italian regular infantry because in the desert heat, um, the soles of the boots would melt. Um, Which means that if you are using standard Warlord Games' uh, Italian paratrooper models and you're trying to represent um, Fogore, you're, you know unless it's maybe the first week of the war um those models may not represent what actually was out on the table uh, if you want, if you're really striving striving for historic accuracy um, which i found really interesting um also they wore a lot of shorts which of course paratrooper models don't tend to do um which is why with my italian paratrooper army um i have quite a few models built at this point um it's, it's taken a long time to do because I had to find a, a whole slew of Italian heads with sun helmets. Thank you, Pedro, um, who I've then been cutting and putting on to other Italian models from other companies that have um, and using paratrooper helmets and paratrooper heads and the torsos and arms of the bodies with the submachine gun vests. But then I'm putting them on artisan legs in shorts um, or cause there's Italian models with the, the shoes and socks and the shorts, um, for regular troopers, um, Black Tree Designs has quite a few, uh, submachine gun and rifle bodies, um, that work beautifully, um, if you replace the heads. Um, so I have them with both the paratrooper helmets and with the sun hats. Uh, so I've gone really, really sort of deep dive on converting to make the Filgore, look like it, like the Felgore. Uh, But then, of course, all the weapons teams, I'm still sort of figuring that out. Um, Do you guys have any information on that that might help me in the converting process? Um, Or do you sort of... Anything you want to add to that? Um, Aaron, what do you think?
2: It's kind of a hard thing. There's a lot of different uniforms that are definitely not represented by the Warlord models. There are some companies out there that do the other ones. I'm not sure about your part of the wall, but I found some that do more accurate towards RSI, but they're not probably not to the same quality of wall. so it makes it All hard right. to even choose. So, so in the end, it'll probably be conversions.
0: Yeah, Pedro, what do you think?
1: Um, I, I found um, that from from sort of the photographic evidence I've been able to to get through the magic of Google. Um, Certainly in Sicily and, um, you know, in the later campaign in Italy, there was quite a variation of, um, you know, of both those jump smocks um, wow. together with um, sort of the more traditional jacket-type tunic um, approach. Mm-hmm. But you're quite right, Brad. Um, the warlord ones don't really um, look like they fit the desert theme. A lot of them are in turtleneck-type jumpers. Um, and unless you're talking in the middle of winter or that they're fighting at night... Um, yeah, you can't imagine that those uniforms would make a lot of sense um, for for later in the war. Um, yeah, you know they're probably quite acceptable in all manner of theaters.
0: Agreed. Uh, it should be said though that a couple of things. One, the Warlord models are exceptionally good, um, especially given their age. Um, they were they've been around since well before I started playing Bolt Action, um, and often early. Mm-hmm. Early company models aren't so great, but these are fantastic. Uh, and two, uh, they do, like regular Italian models, do actually work quite well um, get for the Felgore in the desert, uh, especially if you give them desert hats, and, because they did appropriate a lot of other units' clothing. So if you kit bash a bit, it w- I think it'll work pretty well. Um, especially if you maybe buy a box of paratroopers, um, take those heads and use them on regular Italian bodies and then maybe use um, the sun hats on the paratrooper bodies and start Frankensteining them up a little bit, um, particularly if you're careful and maybe green stuff, you know, maybe some of the boots or um, work in perhaps in other companies set of lower bodies. Um, I think you can really do some special stuff um, that that would represent the Felgore in the desert. So, as I said, um, there were 5,000 um, paratroopers that made their way into the Desert War. And they were used to great effect, as I was saying. Um, but they really did come into fame for their part in the uh, second battle of El Alamein. Um, using obsolete elephantino. so 47-32 guns um arty pieces uh and petrol bombs and landmines uh they basically held back four british divisions um two armored divisions and four infantry divisions uh and they they were famous um, for just their tenacity and their not giving up um it is the number of people who actually surrendered at the end um Is debatable. Um, I've seen it several different websites having different numbers. Something like 302 or 502 um, were intact at the end of that battle as they, you know, fought a retreat on foot, uh, literally out of ammunition um, and out of water. Um, When they were fighting in the Battle of El Alamein, um, they would often at night sneak behind enemy lines, steal their artillery pieces and their shells to use against the enemies that would come at them the next day. And um, one of the reasons it's supposed why they may have been so effective um, prior to that battle was they often didn't have enough food and water to survive. And they had to um, win fights in order to steal um, or appropriate other units or enemy units supplies. Uh, and so it was it was out of desperation that they were so effective. Um, but that said, uh, when they did when it did end and the, and the British kept calling for them to surrender and they kept yelling one word in answer, um, which was Felgore. Um, that was their famous reply. They kept yelling it, yelling it, yelling it. When they finally did surrender, they were able to do so without a white flag and without putting up their hands, and in many cases without surrendering their weapons. Now that is a pretty uh, rare occurrence in World War II. Um, it was also largely that their weapons were out of ammunition anyway. Um, but they were fire. They were fighting with, and I it may have been a translation issue, but um, Breda automatic muskets. I think they were just semi-automatic rifles. Um, they had machine guns. They had light anti-tank guns, they had um, petrol bombs as I said, they had a few anti-tank rifles, and I did see a point, I think, that they may have had a light autocannon at one point, Um, but it was all extraordinarily light stuff and they had very few shells uh, for any of this stuff Uh, and they were using it to hold off as I said, six British divisions very heroic stuff Um, and as Aaron said at the beginning Winston Churchill... Uh, called them in the House of Commons after the Battle of El Alamein, referred to them as the Lions, um, it, which is high praise indeed. There are all kinds of wonderful things that were said by their enemies after that battle um, about the bravery and tenacity, um, which I always makes me think that um, their maybe their national rules should be slightly different, but um, I think as the two of you said... Stubborn would definitely represent that. Um, But then pretty much they were, because so few of them survived, um, the the end of that, very few actually left the desert, and that entire division was just considered destroyed. Um, Which takes us to Pedro. Pedro, um, tell us about sort of the middle um, of the war, uh, and your paratroopers, and how they functioned, and maybe how you would list with those guys. Because with mine, it would be entirely the paratroopers and the units that I talked about.
1: Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, so the the two units that were raised, Polgori um, was um, you know, sent through to the desert, and there was a, a core... Um, sort of training division or, or whatever you want to call it um, left behind called Nimbo um, and um, the idea was that they would raise a second division and, and this sort of became um, where they trained replacements I believe um, to either send onto Africa um, or you know as as the body that would become a, a later second division mm-hmm. um, I've seen different um, uh, Documents refer to them, you know, variously as either a division or a regiment. Uh, so, mm. you know, to what extent they ever became um, a full-sized, fully-fledged unit in their own right, um, I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I did find a document, um, uh, and I think this is an, an American-based document and probably quite an old one, um, just by the typeface, because it looks like it's um, written on a typewriter, mm-hmm. Um of what the Italian um, forces in Sicily were on the 10th of July of 1943. Um, and that lists, um, you know, primarily, um, you know, your various coastal and local divisions and, um, you know, blackshirt legions and assorted mm-hmm. uh, support units. Uh, but sort of there is mention through that of... Um, parachute detachments that were, you know, used more as, um, I suppose, fighting combat groups for counterattacks and things like that. Um, but, you know, they never get talked about as being, um, you know, present as a unit in its own right or, or, right. or operating as a, you know, full division of support assets. hmm
0: so how would you, so, how, how did they actually get fielded then? Um, and how would you represent that on a tabletop?
1: I, I think that that means that, um, uh, you know, for, a, an environment like Sicily, I, I think presenting them, um, with, um, support from other local divisions. Um, so just your generic Italian infantryman, um, is, you know, quite valid. Um, so, uh, I started my lists off as just pure paratroopers, and then added in other assets um, as I grew the points out, you know, past 1,000 points. Mm-hmm. So I do these days have a couple of um, just run-of-the-mill uh, Italian infantry in their more traditional um, continental uh, uniforms uh, to fill, you know, to fill that out. And um, I have played them both as inexperienced and green-type units, um, and that was because a lot of the fighting in Sicily was, was very mixed. You had, um, you know, German FJ divisions, uh, you had um, normal German troops, um, you had some um, heavy panzer battalions involved, and then you had um, you know, some elite Italian paratrooper units and then a whole lot of coastal divisions and other local infantry divisions that were quite a mixed bag. Um, and one of the, the articles I read um, talked about that the Italian strategy for defence of the mainland was um, to field units close to uh, their home um, with the idea that you know people might fight a bit harder to defend their particular patch of turf or their particular village or, mm. or town but um, in practice, what it actually translated to was that um, the moment things got quite rough, um, you know, people would desert and just, you know, go home. Um, so th- there was a bit of a mixed bag in terms of the other regular units uh, that fought in Sicily.
2: Mm. Uh,
1: but at its core, um, you know, I've got that sort of solid um, paratrooper force and then I've mixed in some other elements. Um the other thing that was present in Sicily, as I said earlier, was a couple of detachments of that, you know, ninety fifty three 53 Semivente, um, and, and that was probably the heaviest, um, you know, mobile uh, defence that the Italians had present. Um, certainly not enough to, um, you know, hold back the all the Shermers that were coming at them, but uh, right. enough to give them some pause at times. And so I've sort of chosen to... You know, mixing one of those as a slightly um, heavier unit um, to try to provide some of that anti-tank punt on, on you know what is, uh, for all intents and purposes, just your foot stomping um, you know, paratrooper unit.
0: Now, in the desert, there were, I mean, the Italians were famous for having, in bolt action anyway, tons and tons and tons of different types of light tanks that often are festooned with machine guns. Given that bolt action is a very heavy infantry game, um, we tend to see that they do quite well. Um, in the desert, the Italian paratroopers didn't really buddy up with those tanks, um, at least for the Battle, battle of El Alamein and, and around that time. Um, did you find, I mean, I know you've talked specifically about um, the gun carrier um, with the Super AT gun on it. Were the any of those light tanks, with those things that you would put in your list? Um, I know I've seen you with an armored car or two in your day. Um, how does that link up?
1: Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and that's sort of the other um, fun bit uh, about listing for Sicily is that, you know, the Italians became a bit of a dumping ground for um, old French equipment. Um, so uh, not only did they have their own... Um, Licensed model uh, mm-hmm. of the French FT17, um, which I think they called the Fiat 2000 or 3000, yeah. and <laughs> which is the, present in
0: it is it's the Fiat 2000, which is the most futuristic name for the crappers tank.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, while some of these were present uh, in Sicily, and in fact, there's uh, I think a photo I came across with a couple of these parked dockside um, next to a, a Simavente, and I think that this may very well have been. Um, during the final retreat that -hmm. these were abandoned on the dock. Um, But uh, there was also a number of, um, you know, Renault R-series tanks. um, Mm -hmm. uh, Sort of find it a little bit difficult to work out whether they were R-35s or upgunned R-39s or even some R-40s. But but certainly there were, you know, a few of those in there uh, and they um, appear in... Uh, the Bolt Action Italian list and I do field one of those at, at the higher points level um, and um, I do that because it's you know just fun and quirky and again, nice to see something like that on the table even though it's um, maybe not quite as effective as some other choices, but it's relatively cheap um, and, and I find most of my opponents are more worried about what the Simaventa is doing than what this little, um, you know, light AT gun armed uh, one-man turret um, yeah. tank might be doing. Um, so, you know, again, uh, what's drawn me to, to Italians in this period has been more the, the oddball combinations of units and maybe not necessarily the most effective, but certainly I think that they look uh, pretty funky on the table and, and they're good for something that's a little bit different to play.
0: Yeah, agreed. Uh, I think that the, I mean, a really a nicely put together Italian army is very different than what you'll often find in other people's armies, and I think it just makes for a really, just a really nice modeling opportunity. Um, if you're used to playing, uh, I'm going to do, you know, nothing wrong with Germans. I have three three painted German armies um, and uh, more German tanks than I can shake a stick at, and German tanks are cool and they're sexy, but there is something. As you say, quirky, different. If you're tired of seeing the same old stuff on the tabletop, look at some of these other nations. Um, You know, the the Romanians had some pretty wacky armored vehicles. Um, The Hungarians definitely did. But the Italians, I mean, they they were fairly throughout the entire war, um, multiple fronts and their stuff is unlike no other. So it's definitely worth a look see. Um, I know some people are put off by the national rules, but I think you're really missing out on an excellent opportunity uh, for both a challenging and a fun game um, by, and doing something different. Um, All right, Aaron, you've been quiet for a while, mainly because we haven't asked you, sorry. Um, (laughs) Do you have anything you want to add about the Falgore in the desert or talk about the defense of Sicily? uh, Any of that stuff? Because look, there's, There's a lot there.
2: Um, Not quite. I mean, you've covered most of it, and you've covered most of the things that people know of, and some of the fun things like the 1953 Semivente, which was originally designed for Russia, but unfortunately didn't quite make it there, but did quite well in Sicily. But you seem to have covered most of what I would have either mentioned. (laughs)
0: All right, well, let's talk R- RSI then. So besides sounding like um, some a store that would sell you, you know, backpacking gear, um, what are the paratrooper RSI?
2: Well, the, uh, in 1943, the armistice was signed, and unfortunately, not quite everyone believes in that. So half succeeded to the north to keep going with the Germans, and half went to the south with the Allies. So pretty much after 1943, the armistice, they decided they needed more paratroopers to keep up where they are. So they brought back Folgol. And Folgore was made up of three battalions, Nembo, Fogore, and Azuro. And what we actually tend to find after 1943, for the RSI, is that not all of them were trained in Italy. Quite a few of them were trained in German paratrooper schools and you would tend to find quite a fair amount of troopers with a mix of the Italian telemedico camouflage and a mix of also some German camouflage. Also hence why a lot of the German armaments started to come into the Italians' paratroopers. So that's when you start seeing assault rifles, you saw some Panzerfaust. So yeah, they become quite prevalent in there. Even even the National Guard decided they needed paratroopers when they succeeded to the RSI. But, yeah, so they, they pretty much, not long after they formed the RSI, the Allies invaded Italy, starting with the Anzio invasion mm-hmm. and Natano, which the Nembo was quite prevalent there. They were the protagonists of a lot of attacks on English positions there and very big part of the Italian German counteroffensive. Unfortunately, they took serious losses and had to retreat, but they fought very bitterly to prevent them. In, in fact, one of one of the regiment one of the actual battalions sacrificed themselves completely to defend the position from the advance. And also speaking of Rome, and your fa- favorite semiventé is the one hundred five twenty-five semiventé was used a fair bit. The Basato, which also translates to basset hound, which I'm not sure if any of you have seen what it actually looks like.
0: Is that so? Which I'm I'm flipping through the book because I know there's a lot. And for those of you who are trying to follow along with the Italian book, perhaps. Um, there's a lot of Simoventes. Did you say the 9053 or the 10525? Oh.
2: 10525.
0: Yeah, that thing. So, um, that's a model that was made by Mad Bob Miniatures, and that's the one that looks flat, wide. It's like a Stug on steroids with a big old gun sticking out of the front, right?
2: Yeah. Speaking. Yeah, well, Speaking of that, after the Italians surrendered, the Germans who took on them, they actually renamed it the Stug M43 Mit 10525 853i. There you
0: go. And that's, of course, a super heavy... It's it's basically a Stug with a super super heavy AT gun, which is Yeah, 105mm. Pedro, did you want to say something about that?
1: Yeah, I was going to say... it, if you're familiar with the simvent seventy five eighteen that was present in the desert, uh, this thing just looks like a basically uh, wider, lower uh, version of that with a gun that's about you know two or three times as long. It looks <laughs> and pretty fully armored
0: It's amazing yeah. and if you are looking for a model of that kid, a uh, kit, as I said, Mad Bob miniatures is your place to go. Uh, because it is a sweet, sweet kit. Uh, Lachlan had one and used it effectively. Woofed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Ouch. So go ahead, Aaron.
2: Yeah. And then they're also more prevalent along the Gothic line, which they're a part of the Ardidi group. Mm-hmm. So quite a lot of bit of fighting. So they were alongside a lot of armor and all sorts of different units. So you would see them with the the tanks you were talking about, such as the more newer m1542 which a lot of people in bold action don't quite like the italians having because it can have up to 25 mmg shots if it wants to
1: yeah
0: yeah everyone talks about the Stuart, but if you look at some of those uh some of those italian tanks they are dripping with machine guns
2: especially for the points you can yeah. take it re- regular with the 25 shots for 160 points
0: Uh, Amazing. Well, I mean, in order to have that many shots, though, it does become open topped. Um,
2: True. True. Yeah. But even so, 20 shots is still quite fun.
0: (laughs) It's brutal. Yeah. I'm excited about my Japanese armored car that has two machine guns and has 10 shots. So, yeah, twice that is fairly
2: ridiculous. (laughs) But, yeah, they were quite prevalent on the Gothic line, which saw a lot, a lot of bit of fighting, of course. Then there was also some that were over on the Western Alpine front, mostly patrols, any partisan that sort of things that are part of the Alpine-Jager German division and some of the Alpine division, Monterosa. Mm-hmm. But that was pretty much what they did right up to the end, fighting to the bitter end. So that was pretty much what they did. And they're also part of the Navy in the XAMAS, which is another completely different uniform, if you want to try and make miniatures for, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, I I did see pictures of those guys and went, again, not anything like (laughs) you would expect. Um, But if you were doing late, like you're talking about, doing the RSI, um, Warlords, Plastic, Fallschirmjäger, quite a few of those models on that sprue because they have different FJ uniforms in that sprue. Um, some of mm. those helmets and some of those uniforms work really well for Italian paratroopers or can be adapted to.
2: I've actually been quite tempted in thinking of mixing up my units with the Fulman Jaeger and the late war Italian paratroopers just to represent the different trainings and the mixes up into the end of the war because
1: it's pretty accurate.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I ha- Sorry, Pedro?
1: I have... Managed to find a few photos um, that show just just, that—just you know, mixed units of um, German and Italian uh, paratroopers fighting together. Um, But I have actually on my table um, half a dozen um, of those FJ um, plastic models Mm -hmm. um, that I am converting to just add some more, um, you know, bulk out to my existing warlord models. Um, and the, the paratrooper helmets are very easy to convert. Um, you know, they're just slightly rounder, um, mm-hmm. the, the Italian version. And, uh, you know, with a couple of um, pieces of green stuff, it, you can uh, very easily make the strapping that, or the webbing that they have over the top of it. You can. Um, how, the, the only thing I'm playing with at the moment is just making that um, samurai, um, submachine gun uh
0: vest yeah
1: bandolier that they had um and i've just sort of tried a couple of different things and i'm not quite happy with what i've got but uh in terms of you know the jump smocks and the tunics um you know would be hard <laughs> pressed to tell them apart i think
0: all right cool well aaron um and, but- let's let's talk to you more about the rsi um where were you you uh, listing or did you want to keep talking about them sort of historically
2: I'll I'll just go to finish off with the end of hostilities, and then I'll go into my list. Good. And to go back on to what you said about unusual things happening in World War Two, was pretty much the end of towards the Italians in World War Two. The reg the regiments of Folgore, so the three battalions, one after another, the battalion started to surrender to the Allies. Last being the third battalion, which had about six hundred and fifty, which surrendered around May fourth in St. Vincent, Vincent and framed by the commander of the regiment lowered the flag while an American infantry rendered their military honors. Oh, wow. So how often does, how often does that happen?
0: Yeah, not often. Uh, hold on. What year is that? Is that 44 or 45?
2: May 4, 1945 in St. Vincent. Oh, wow. So yeah, they, they were there to the bitter end as late as they could be. And, Yeah, and I'll just go, basically, with the list for RSI, you kind of have quite a bit of options and fun. You can go all late-war stuff if you want the toys, or you can represent what RSI actually became and pretty much scattered use of pretty much any tech they could have from any parts of the war. So I've been known quite often to bring in some of the armored cars, such as the IZ, from the start of the war, I've been known to use the, the tanks. I've been using tankettes. Just you can go to town. Like the IZ is a very fun armored um, car to use. It's a little annoying that if you advance and shoot, rather than just doing a run or just straight shoot, you have to roll <laughs> a leadership test mm-hmm. an order test to do it because of too many machine guns. <laughs> it's got it's got two turrets on top, one with one MMG and one with two, so you can shoot two separate targets. So that's quite a fun vehicle to play around with. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I also quite like the use of the L six forty in my list with the flamethrower. Mhm. But also for the RSI, your favourite Lancia was also there, used by him, and now it was on the Gothic line, a couple of uses of it there. Mhm. And I just looked up; there's actually an 100 mm gun on it, not a 88.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's even bigger than an
2: 88. Yeah, <laughs> a 1918 Canon Modella.
1: 100 (laughs) unbelievable and and some of those were present um very early on in the desert as well and and again i think um battlefront did make a a model for flames of war and it was almost like a naval gun sitting Mm -hmm. on the back of one of those lancia 3 ro trucks and if (laughs) the if the 1953 looks silly then this thing just looks unbelievable. Yeah, it does, <laughs> it's especially when like than in t- than a gun.
0: It does, especially it uh 28 mil or 156 I should say. Um because company B does make one and it's unbelievable and it sticks out on the tabletop like a sore thumb. If you Google search um that particular vehicle and 156 or 28 millimeter. I know I found pictures of it in somebody's game on a blog uh, a couple times. And you actually see this thing and you look at the army and you're like, Oh yeah, it's an army and army. army." Is that a terrain piece or is that? Nope. That's a gun. And you just go, that's unbelievable. Um, It makes for a great little diorama.
2: Yeah, very much so. So I believe you wanted to, start talking about some Koblitran armies over there, Brad. Oh,
0: I do. Um, Now, so, okay... In researching Italians, as I mentioned my frustrations earlier, it it can be difficult to find information. Um, And I, a couple of years ago, uh, it was when I was researching the Sahariana, I was busy researching Italian special forces, sort of going down rabbit holes, looking for interesting units. And it was when I was toying, first toying with the idea of doing an Italian paratrooper army. I wanted to do something that was different. It, it would be completely different from what you'd see on someone else's table. Um, and I was looking at um, co belligerent Italian forces. Um, now, am I correct, gentlemen, that across from what I understand of what happened before the desert, during the desert, in Sicily, in Italy, Italian paratroopers were not involved in, in any actual paratrooping. Activities. They were used as defensive troops. No, they never actually paratrooped in somewhere, You know, parachuted into a particular place. Would you guys agree with that?
1: I thought there was From just me, one. Yeah, I, I think there was one combat drop in the desert. Okay. Um, quite late, perhaps. Okay.
0: But it is not what they're known for. No. No. What I found interesting is I found reference of a group of co-belligerent Italian paratroopers, uh, and I believe they were using British gear. And I wanted to say that it was called something like Operation Paperclip. Um, But then when I went back to find it, Paperclip is something completely different. Um, But it's something innocuous like a paperclip, Operation something. And it was Italian paratroopers... um, dropping in and raiding and I want to say it's an Italian facility so it's Italian on Italian um I just I would love to find out more about that force so listeners if you happen to know what I'm talking about badly um I would love to find out more about that please contact I would like to know um now as far as co-belligerent forces I do know that um Italian uh forces were typically using uh some of their old gear and some were even given new gear. Um I know there was the concern that once they'd turned once they would turn again. Um and so the, they weren't exactly trusted um in some cases by uh troops they'd been fighting previously, which I guess makes sense. Um Aaron or Pedro, do either one of you have anything to add to that? Um, because I know that there were co-belligerent Italian paratrooper units, um, but I honestly don't know much about them.
1: Yeah, the only thing I recall is that uh, at the time of the armistice, um, that Italian units were actually involved in pushing the Germans out of Rome. Um, I can't remember whether there was a fear that, um, you know, Rome would turn into a, a battle zone um, and, a, and a nasty, um, mm. you know, urban battle, destroying the city. Uh, but I, I I do recall reading something about uh, actions at that time where, um, you know, some went, you know, what war's over, um, the king has um, signed the armistice and uh, Mussolini being captured and, um, you know, time for you guys to leave. Uh, and then, you know, some remain loyal. Uh, to the axis, uh, and that's when you had some Italian or Italian action. But mm. um, you know, that's about as much as I, I I'm aware of.
0: All right, all right, Aaron. Um, you know anything outside of that, or should we, shall we segue beyond?
2: I think we should segue. All
0: right, now Pedro. Um, I did say I'd come back to you. You, um, did you mention everything that you wanted to talk about? Because I know you had some copious notes.
1: Yeah, I'm. I, I another. Um, thing that came to mind about um, sicily and uh, talking about mm. uh, you know the funky and uh, you know probably um, undermatched or, or under um, armed I should say um you know French tanks that that they had was that uh, one of the early actions um, in the the landings at Sicily uh, against the Americans was a, a charge by um, a company of um, I believe R 35s and some F T seventeens at a place called Jella mm. um, where um, they came motoring you know down the highway to try to um, to push the troops that had landed back um and, and got you know quite close until some naval gunnery um, um, you know made them think twice um and, and put a stop to that attack. Um, so you know there's another opportunity for um, you know some you know great modeling or or different list type um, scenarios Mm -hmm. for people to explore Uh, and one of the things that I recall again um, from the Flames of War book which um, I'm never quite sure how to represent this in bolt action was the opportunity for um, you know fielding allies um, where Mm -hmm. you might have a mix of German and um, Italian units um, you know in those scenarios, which was, again, especially prevalent in Sicily, um, you know, where you might have had um, FJs and Italian, um, you know, regular troops, you know, fighting alongside, you know, a Tiger or something like that. I think that that would be, uh, again, a really nice um, you know, modelling mix to, to put on the table. Um, and it's probably, you know, one element where I find the bold action rules possibly don't go quite far enough.
0: Yeah, I, I hear you. Uh, I I haven't played in events for a while, and I've actually found it pretty darn liberating. Um, I've been playing a lot of friendly games with uh, friends of ours, Pedro, go figure, um, because they're in in <laughs> Melbourne. Um, and it turns out um, when I've been playing uh, Dave Monroe, for example, um, we'll say, oh, yeah, I want to take this thing. Okay, we'll take that thing. Um, how about we play a game where we each have one more tank than usual? All right, cool. Um, how about we play a game where this happens? And you go, all right, fine. As long as you and your opponent are on the same page, um, and you're you're playing for fun, there's no reason why you can't mess around with situations like that. Um, I think bolt action itself is pretty good for that. Um I think that uh maybe, you know, maybe you could write um a theater selector and share it online and see what people thought. Um, I know a few people have uh, been doing that recently with certain units and certain battles. Uh, I know that hopefully we'll see some more Italian uh, theater selectors in the new desert war book coming out. And with some of the other books that are coming, Uh, I'm certainly hoping there's a Fulgore uh, selector in there because that would make my day. Um, Yeah. Pedro, what do you think? Uh, You feel it sounded like you wanted to say something there.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that, you know, that that would be great just for, um, you know, the giving an option to people who are going to an event to, to field something that's a little bit more different like that. Um, you know, and if you, you want to extrapolate it further, um, you know, the Italians were present um, in Russia and around Stalingrad and, and yeah. sort of the, the, that southern flank, um, and they would have fought alongside um you know romanians and um or bulgarians i think and you know again alongside german units and again there they were you know known to not have uh a lot of their own um transports or heavy armor so i think you know it would have been highly likely that they would have been supported by some heavier units from other nations um so i you know i think it'd be really nice to to see that um you know as an option um as opposed to the captured type vehicle, where mm-hmm. you know it's a um, it's inexperienced and potentially unreliable, but you know more a situation where you go, you know what? Okay, if you want to play an Allied um, tank or whatever, or a, a Panzer III or a Panzer IV that might have been nearby, mm-hmm. um, you know you might be able to do that. There might be some efficiency or, or points penalties because of language differences, but mm. um, I'm sure that sort of thing happened often enough.
0: Well, yeah, I, I think if you're an Axis power using German units, um, you know, clearly those have been shared with you or you're a German unit using Italian things. Um, I mean, those things have been shared. It's, it's, I think it's a different animal from like the partisan lists or the fin lists where, um, where you see captured vehicles. Um, they're often used um, and they're sort of jury rigged and they don't have proper supply lines and they're just sort of throwing things back out at the people they took it from. Um, Finns, certainly in the Winter War Um, Partisans, of course, throughout the war um, I know happened from the Warsaw Uprising Um, You know, they clearly used those vehicles Um, They just turned them around on the attackers Until they wouldn't run anymore Then they abandoned them and kept going So I think the unreliable rule definitely holds true for those units But I think what you're talking about I don't think you probably have to worry about that Um, I think if you paid an appropriate point value for them I think, you know, and you and your opponent agree That'd be cool um, yeah, again, I hope we see some good theater selectors because we've seen a few theater selectors where captured vehicles or shared vehicles are used. And I think that really makes for interesting listing. Um, now, gang, um, I hope that this episode has been good for you, um, li- you the listener. Uh, this has been something that's been really enjoyable for me. And I know my guests, we've talked about this offline. Um, this has been enjoyable for us to research and to really dig our teeth into. Um, And I know that Italian paratroopers are kind of extremely niche. However, um, there are countless units like this throughout World War II that can be represented on the bolt action tabletop um, with a little bit of maybe deep diving as far as research um, and maybe a little bit of playing around with different model types to combine uniforms or maybe a little bit of green stuff. If you want to sculpt a special hat on a Soviet winter great coat guy to make him a Hungarian with one of those great big fuzzy hats. Um, There's all sorts of different ways of, I guess the expression is skinning a cat. Um, And there's so many rich unit types that, you know, sometimes you go to bolt action events and you look and go, oh, it's another British paratrooper army. Oh, it's another late war German army that looks exactly like the two next to it on either side. Um, Guys, there's a lot out there. Um, I would like to encourage you um, to to find something that looks interesting or sounds cool or looks cool or maybe that your family has a connection to um, in its past. And, you know, maybe see where you can go. Uh, I would also like to say it's nice to have dogs on the podcast. Um, And if you've heard background noise on this episode, uh, Melbourne's about a million degrees this evening. And unfortunately, I've had to open my window. Um, Just a little behind baseball on that one. Um, But guys, please, find something interesting to put on the tabletop. Patch talked last week about how uh, variety is a good thing. And I know there's been a lot of controversy recently because adepticon's talking about adopting the cancon rule where if there's a uh, if you are a german player and you take a panzer 4 you only get tiger fear if you take veterans Uh, now i'm not talking about the legitimacy of that today but by doing so it really um encouraged german players to look towards other vehicles um which led to a greater diversity on the tabletop and red It led to more interesting listing. It also meant that we saw less late-war Germans and there was more middle-war and early-war Germans. Um, There are so many viable ways to play bolt-action. I think it would be a a real shame if everything turned into the same three or four net lists. Um, And in the next couple of episodes of Cast Ice, hopefully I will be looking at some other games again. But I do want to come back, um, and I am going to actually have a rather... Vigorous comp discussion um, with another podcaster uh, from Scotland. uh, And we are going to be talking shortly about uh, the idea around comp and how to make your list interesting um, and maybe competitive um, in an environment where people are playing for real. Um, Anyway, I guess what I'm saying is that is kind of bringing us to a close. But before I go, um, Pedro, did you want to add anything to this episode?
1: Um, no, I think that, um, you know, it, it's been a really good, interesting conversation as usual. And, um, you know, thank you for um, inviting us to participate. It's thank you.
0: And thank you very, very much for coming on and for being patient for six months and then coming on six months late. I I cringe and re- legitimately I have apologized to these guys uh, countless times because I feel really bad that they... Kind of because this is what the third time that we've tried to record this episode we had tech technical problems and the other podcast shut down and then we came back um, yeah it's just just really glad to we were finally able to do it um Aaron, anything you wanted to add?
2: Um, I just want to add two things just during all the deep research I've done in Italians I came across quite a few interesting things but I'll just give two interesting things for the listeners to check out on please look up. Go, go and look up the last charge, of last cavalry charge in modern history, in modern um, military history, is the charge of the Savoya Cavalaria at Izbushensky, mm-hmm. where 700 Italian cavalry faced against 2,500 uh, Russians and won. Oh. <laughs> With only 32 casualties and 52 wounded. And then also, out of interest, look up, the RSI, the Republic Sociale Italiana's propaganda posters. If anything represents Mussolini's wanting to turn Italy into a modern Rome, a modern Roman Empire, it's those posters. They are so cool.
0: Yeah, just really interesting art. Yeah, got to say, World War II propaganda posters in general are fantastic. Um, you just look back at them and think, wow, I, uh, the the art divisions behind them. We're working just as hard as the manufacturing for weapons and the soldiers fighting um, and just just the the lengths that they would go to to garner support within their, you know, within home countries for the troops. Um, I know American propaganda stuff is fantastic. British, German. I mean, let alone the messages and some of them are a little cringy. And by some, I mean, very cringy. But um, just just. Yeah. If you are ever bored. And you're thinking, man, there is nothing good to look at in life. Um, Google search World War II propaganda posters um, and then start looking, add nations to them. And uh, you will see some pretty out there stuff um, and some cool stuff, too. Anyway, Aaron, did I? Sorry, I didn't mean to step on you there. Did you want to add anything to that?
2: Uh, No, I was just going to say one of the interesting ones I saw was pretty much. It's a picture of the Statue of Liberty in the background saying Echo Elevatory and, and basically uh, New York is on fire. <laughs> so that's Italian propaganda for you.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, don't get me started uh, about American propaganda posters portraying Japanese soldiers in World War II. It, it, it's terrible. It's, it's, <laughs> anyway, moving on. Uh, ladies and gentlemen. As always, thank you so much for joining us on Cast Dice. I know we have been, as I said, been going sort of down the rabbit hole of bolt action of late. Um, We will be getting back to other game systems shortly. I know that I have several people lined up to discuss Star Wars Legion when it drops. The rumors are looking amazing. Just a lot of excitement there. But just in general... I guess I just want to say Bolt Action uh, and Conflict 47 are just games that I love coming back to because they're so well done. And if you haven't checked them out and you have somehow made it to this part of the episode, uh, kudos for you. Um, And I highly recommend you find someone to run you through the rules um, or you just pick them up yourself. Bolt Action is a great game that is easy to pick up uh, and you know, is relatively hard to master. So it's got legs. It's enjoyable to play. So thank you again for listening and, uh, may your dice roll hot. May your beverage be cold and may life treat you well. Good night.